an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, today on the podcast, I have Trisha Barker, and I am so excited to share this story with you. She talks about her NDE experience, which is a near-death experience. She talks about how she was able to see so many different things happening in the OR where she was. She's written a book called Angels in the OR. She also talks about the impact that it's had on her life and how she has gone on to become a healer when she never really wanted to be. She also talks about how she was set for law school and then wound up becoming a teacher. So Spirit has definitely worked its way through her and she continues to listen and and share her light in this world. If you want to know more about Trisha, you can go to trishabarkernde.com. But for now, here is Trisha Barker. Let's get started. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have Trisha Barker, and I'm so excited to talk to her. She had an NDE experience, which is a near-death experience. And that experience has opened up many gifts for her. And she's here to talk about them and her experience. But also she had an amazing experience going to a healing cathedral several times. So I want to hear about that too. Whenever I come across people as future guests, I check out their energy. I look at what they're doing. I absolutely loved her energy. And I'm really excited to have her here to share her story. But I am like, just like you guys out there, I am also hearing this for the first time. I want to dive in so badly when I hear that there is a story, but then I also want to experience it with everyone else too. Welcome to the show, Trisha. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, Amy. I'm so excited to be here and to talk with you. I love your energy and the work that you're doing too. Thank you. So when did you have your near-death experience? I was a college student when I had my experience and this was really life-changing because I was agnostic at the time and I was struggling like a lot of college students might be. I suffered profound child abuse, sexual, physical, emotional, verbal, even some spiritual abuse. And that's kind of what caused me to be agnostic. And so Mm. I went to college with a lot of scholarships. I felt great about life. I felt like, oh, I'm going to take the world by storm. And then I realized, wow, I'm dealing with deep depression and this is much harder than I realized. And I, I remember just having these moments of extreme loneliness and sometimes even panic about death. So when I was about to graduate, I was going to run the Austin 10K. I went to UT in Austin. And on the way to that race, I had a massive car wreck. So I broke my back in three places. Oh, wow. uh, I immediately lost feeling in my left leg. And my body was slumped over to one side. I could not even reach into my glove box for my license and registration. And I knew my body was so hot. I knew that something was deeply wrong and that I was going to need surgery. And 
All I could think about was the physical though. You know, am I going to walk? What's going to happen? And oh my God, I broke my back. How am I going to heal? These were the thoughts that I had. I didn't have health insurance. So I waited 17 hours before a neurosurgeon decided to take me in as a patient and take me in. I had massive internal injuries. There was a lot going on. So I remember when I went into that operating room thinking, well, I'm young, I'm strong. I was running, you know, training for a race. Certainly Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it. But there was a little line that said 17% chance of death. And I thought, well, that's just higher than I thought it should be. (laughs) (laughs) This is just back surgery. Come on. (laughs) Was that like in a disclaimer or something that you had to sign off on? Oh, okay. Wow. (laughs) And I guess maybe because of the internal injuries. But as I went in, I just went under and somewhere in the middle of that operating room. And I know that It was midway through the surgery because my back was opened up. My hip was opened up. They were taking bone from the hip, placing it into the back. And I just lifted up out of my body Mm. and I felt so much peace. Those first few seconds outside of form, I no longer was attached to the body. And I know we in our bodies feel so much attachment to it and fear of pain. But I just remember looking at it and thinking, well, that's pretty bloody. Didn't expect surgery to be like that. And and then I was also like, yes, we go on. Just so excited. I thought that I could convince all my agnostic friends just with that first moment that we go on. that Because that consciousness felt so much larger than anything I'd experienced in the body. And I, I took a lot of pride in my brain and studying and doing well in school. And this consciousness just felt extreme. I don't know how to describe it other than suddenly there was clarity. There was nothing, there was no limiters to consciousness. And so I was outside a body and I saw these light beings or angels I didn't even know what to call them. I just knew that they were about nine feet tall, highly intelligent, and the most calming forces I'd ever seen. And they talked telepathically. So they sent this light through their eyes and into my spirit form, telling me I'd be fine, that I'd walk, I'd run. And then they did this amazing thing where they sent light through the back of the surgeon's through their hands and into my body. And I saw the bone fragments would be picked out that everything was, would be fine. They were basically giving me a light healing. And I was so amazed. I thought, do neurosurgeons know that angels work through them? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought they probably don't. Oh my God, but I've got to tell them. (laughs) This was was my first thought. I thought they're so smart. They're so engaging, but here they are assisted by the other side. And then after the angels were working on me, I noticed that the monitor flatlined and everyone stepped back. So the anesthesiologist came running around and the surgeons kind of put their arms up and stepped back. And I was like, how are they going to revive me? This is really kind of strange because my back is very fragile. Do they have to lift me up? What's going on? And I thought, I don't want to see this. And so I left the operating room and I ended up in the hallway thing that happened that researchers love, and my story's been shared on Amazon, Bio Channel, Dr. Oz, National Geographic, so many big outlets, because I have a verifiable detail outside of, of physical form. Hmm. And what happened is I saw my stepdad get a candy bar. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but he was a health nut. And this was something that he'd wouldn't do in front of people, but I saw him get it and eat it and take it into the waiting room. And 
that memory just stood out. And then later I verified that with my mom and dad who said that when he came back with that candy bar, they had fallen to their knees and they were praying and he made a joke and then they all laughed and moved on. But my parents understood that I had died at that moment. I think there was Hmm. something psychically connected to me, you know, and I think parents often are, they just know these things. Mm Mm-hmm. That was just the first part of the near-death experience. Do you want me to go on and tell Absolutely. the whole story? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So the next part was really this moment where I kind of flew over the night sky in Austin and I thought about everyone I had ever been connected to. Wow. And I just felt love for everyone. That's the only way to describe it. It's like even if someone had just handed me a cup of coffee or they're in my class or whatever. I just felt like, Hey, have a great life. Enjoy it. I might not be back. I was already experiencing this freedom, kind of like a bird or something where you're just flying away and you just don't care. There was no fear. I didn't feel a moment of fear, just exhilaration Hmm. and happiness and peace. And as I kept kind of flying through this night sky. It was like everything transitioned. Sometimes people talk about a dark tunnel. I just was in the cosmos, in the stars. And as I floated in the stars, I felt so much joy, so much peace, and so much understanding coming towards me. It almost as if there was this consciousness or this Mm. light that was supporting me in a way, but also asking me to review part of my life. So I saw my life kind of float in front of me, like the life review and moments in nature were beautiful moments. So I heard be like a little child, remind them to go to nature. And that message seems so simple, but it has played out in so many different ways, which I can just go on and on about with healing and life. And, you know, nature is very grounding and it just teaches us the truth of who we are. And we're so disconnected from truth, but that was part of what I heard on the other side. And then then I heard love is all that matters and all that we take with us. Mm. And then I saw how I was loving and not loving in certain instances. And anything that was done to me was kind of erased. But anything that I did from a point of judgment, I had to examine. And, and I saw this one part of my life where I looked at this couple that I worked with and I didn't see beauty and importance in them and they had really good hearts. And from the other side, I could see how important they were because they cared about people. They actually prayed for me and I didn't have time for them. I was a college student who thought, oh, this this older couple who <laughs> doesn't have a college education and they're lifelong waiter and waitress, they're they're of no importance to me. You know, that's mm-hmm. that was my thought. And here they were just really good people. Mm-hmm. And I saw there's good people all around us at work, in the world, and we overlook them if you don't take the time to look into people's hearts. And so I was so embarrassed. That was just such a deep lesson to me. I thought I will always look at people's hearts and souls and and see who they are inside from this point forward. I won't be misled, you know, from from that point forward. And then the next part of the near death experience, I transitioned quickly into this green space, which looked like a holding place, but it was very natural. The grass was deeply green and kind of swayed in the wind. I felt even deeper peace and my grandfather was there. He was the only person who had died and near-death experiencers generally don't see someone alive. Only a few instances where that person is like in a coma or deeply altered in some way. Do they talk with their spirit? But 
my grandfather had died at 70 something, 72 of leukemia, but in the afterworld, he looks like 35, 38, and he just glowed like with a tan and his eyes were just deeply blue. And he just looked like this epitome of health and happiness. And like the angels, he communicated with telepathy and he was there to show me unconditional love. And he said that I could wait with him if I felt at peace there or I could keep going. And when he said I could keep going, I thought, oh my gosh, he means go to God. And I said, I'm sorry, I've got to go there. (laughs) (laughs) And I just took off flying towards that light of God. And nothing has ever felt better than that experience. I felt people's prayers trying to pull me back and I would feel them like words. So to me, that tells me that a prayer is never lost. You know, people think, oh, I prayed and this didn't happen. Well, if someone transitions, they at least feel that prayer and that love that really a prayer is energy. And it's just since whether it affects the outcome or not, maybe it it does. But I I really got a sense of who was praying out of routine, who really meant it. (laughs) Like, and this was kind of interesting psychic information later, you know, about people But mostly, I just felt like, oh, some people are really authentic in their prayers, and that's beautiful, and they just didn't want me to die. Then as I transitioned further, I wanted to keep going because everything about my life that had been painful, and growing up the way I grew up in poverty and with a lot of abuse, there was a ton of pain that I carried. And as I got closer and closer to that light of God, it all just kind of faded away. And it was like being returned to perfection, returned to innocence, returned to who I really was, that anything that anyone had ever done to me could be instantly forgiven in that presence because I was fine. I was never harmed at that Mm. core level, that the love was healing that part of me that had been perhaps harmed by the way I'd been treated. And it was like, the best way I can describe this is the light was like, don't even worry about it. That's not the truth. The truth is this love right here. <laughs> and, and so in that place, that's what I felt. Then I was stopped. A lot of near-death experiencers have a barrier and it was like I hit an energy wall and I was told to look down and I saw this river and the river was very beautiful. And I felt as if that God, unconditional love was talking to me in terms of metaphors. And I was told I would go back and be a teacher and remind people to turn on their lights. And <laughs> I thought, okay, this is kind of simple again. <laughs> you know, what does this mean? Uh, motivation? Does this mean spirituality? What? But I saw that it would actually work in high schools and junior highs and colleges. And I would remind people to be in that flow of light and to Mm. be more connected to nature. And I argued for a moment because I'd grown up poor. I wanted to be a lawyer. There was a lot I wanted to do with my life and it was not teaching. And so I said, no, God, (laughs) like I kind of like it here or we can just go back and do something different, but not that. (laughs) 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 And So the last thing I felt in that place, it was almost like I was thrown, hurled back into my body. This wind, a dark wind kind of enveloped me. And I just, that was the last thing I knew. And so I never was able to get that out of my mind. (laughs) The idea that I'm meant to be a teacher. So, (laughs) Wow. Holy moly. What did it feel like getting thrust into your body? Were you still in surgery or where were you? By the time I 
came out of surgery is when I had my first conscious moment. They were handing me ice chips and asking me to tell them my name. And I still felt that consciousness outside of my body. Some people have to remember these near-death experiences, not me, like soon as the as soon as I could speak, I was talking about it. So they put ice chips in my mouth and I said, I remember her name. Her name was Trisha, but I'm so much more than this individual. That's hilarious. Oh my God. And the nurses were like, this will not do. You have to actually say your name. And I'm like, but it's boring to be me. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Oh wow. Did you tell them more about the story and why you were saying it? Yeah. In fact, as soon as my surgeon came in, I said, how long was I dead? Like, you know, and I kind of shocked her with that. And she was unnerved to say the least. And she She was like, it wasn't my fault. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) She's she's a good surgeon. And she was like, "Uh, you're going to walk. You're going to be great. You're fine. We thought we lost you for a couple of minutes, but don't think about that. Let's just move forward and focus on healing. And you're getting some blood transfusions. You lost a lot of blood. And then later I found out I had bled to death on the operating table. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Holy moly. So what have been the after effects? Because I know that they can be massive, right? Because this is like you were saying, you were agnostic before you had agnostic friends, you had this experience, and then you were wholeheartedly believing everything and knowing that this was your experience and that you were here for something totally different. So like, how did that transpire afterwards? Like what became your life after that? I mean, first of all, you said you were in your senior year of college, like where in your senior year of college was it? Because that's a huge year. (laughs) It was a month before I graduated, so I had to get out of all of those classes. I I had a four-month recovery and a body cast, and there was so much physical healing to do, but immediately I knew that my consciousness was different. So I started looking around at family members, and I could read emotions and thoughts so much better. I was way, way, way more psychic than I'd ever been in my life, especially those first couple of years afterwards. It was almost freaky. And every once in a while, I can still do it. In fact, just the other day I did it. But when when I got back home, I knew what song was playing on the radio. So if I turned on the radio, I'd start singing it and then turn it on. And that song would be on right where I was singing it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yesterday, without thinking, I was singing a particular song and and turned on the radio and it came on right where I was singing. So just little, little tiny things like that, but also out-of-body experiences, lucid dreaming. There were two different types of out-of-body experiences. The ones that were beautiful were the ones where I just tried to escape pain. So I had a long journey with healing the back and I would go into deep meditation, participate with healing with those angels and kind of imagine that healing happening but I couldn't take painkillers for whatever reason. They made me nauseous and maybe I was being protected from that painkiller addiction, or maybe I was just meant to feel the pain because I know that I was very careful with my body, but I also learned how to get outside of my body. So I'd go Mm -hmm. into meditation, I'd leave, I'd have lucid dreams. And it was a really weird, you know, that first couple of months after the surgery, there were so many nights I'd wake up and I'd think, Oh, wait, where am I? I was just flying around the cosmos again. (laughs) Do I have to come back to that body? Am I dead? Am I alive? Who am I? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. I I don't personally, I hate when I enter my body after I've like been out floating in the cosmos. It really jars me. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I feel like I get all hot and my body vibrates. It's one of the worst feelings for me. So I'm not very happy when I return. (laughs) 
<laughs> you, you understand, and if, if you were yeah. returning to red hot like poker, that these uh, my back is is fused the way they fused it ninety four is with a lot of metal, and so there's mm. just like you know huge um, Harrington rods in my back uh, holding it together, and so it just felt as if a poker was in my back or a sword. And so for so long, you know, adjusting to that pain was, was difficult, but, but I was very positive and very grateful. And I think that was part of how I healed was that spiritual connection, getting out of body and really just, I was grateful for every step. I knew that, you know, if it took 10 steps on this first day, well, I'll take 20 the next day and really just kept pushing myself through the pain, but not to a point where I'd reharm myself again. And that was a big part of the healing journey. Wow. So are you, were you about to talk about the cathedral, the healing cathedral? Is that what you were just going to say? That came much later. The first part of my journey was really just healing body. And that took about a year before I went back to college. And I had so many experiences because of this near-death experience. I mean, never before had I seen ghosts or experienced these things on this level. But I went back to campus and started telling people, you know, about my experience. <laughs> and some people were totally open and some were at a party and like, ew, and they're like horrified, walked away. And, you know, there were a variety of reactions. Mostly older hippies enjoyed my story. So <laughs> not so much people my age. I've been waiting a long time for young people to wake up. <laughs> and so, you know, for the most part, um, young people weren't open, but some were. And so mm-hmm. this friend of mine said one afternoon, he was like, well, do you see spirits now? Do you see angels now? If you saw that in that experience. And I was kind of sad. I looked down for a moment and thought, I don't. And then I looked up and I saw angels behind everyone. I saw two angels floating, some very high, some lower, um, but basically two angels around everyone. And then I saw people who didn't realize they were dead. Maybe they were just walking the streets as ghosts. And there was just like a lot, or maybe guides, I don't know, but there was just a lot more going on than I realized. And I remember laughing going, Oh, I can't live like this. This will be way too overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> if I yeah. see this all the time, mm-hmm. but it was nice to get that glimpse and a development of a lot of these, these uh, gifts that, some gifts I didn't want, and I asked that it come in the state of dreams because the psychic flashes were a little overwhelming. It wasn't like I was getting lottery numbers. It was just like I knew when I went back to college and I was working in a restaurant, I knew what someone was going to order before they ordered it. And so I'd start playing around with people and be like, well, I know you're going to get the pepperoni pizza, but have you considered? <laughs> and see if I could talk them into another order. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's great. I love that you had such a playful energy around it all. When you're learning, it can be scary. It can be very overwhelming. And we have things we have to do. You were trying to finish school. And did you wind up becoming a lawyer? Or No, no. no. So I, I switched gears and I went back and I finished with an English degree and I did not go to law school. I went another year and got certified to teach and then went right into the classroom. And the first thing I did in the classroom was just tell the students, I, I don't want to be here, but I had this near-death experience. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know you don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> so I was just really open and honest with them. And it was amazing because that first class that I had 
this young man was 19 and he had been out of school for a couple of years, but he had a traumatic brain injury in a car wreck himself and he had a full near death experience. And so I helped him write about it, process it, talk about it. And there were just so many magical moments. Students really thought deeply about their lives, what they wanted to do. One girl wanted to go on to be a psychologist. Others wanted to travel. And and for whatever reason, just from the minute I stepped into the classroom, there was magic. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So just like those angels work through the surgeons, I think maybe they're working through me. And I'm just meant to be here with students. And if I just doesn't matter what type of setting, as long as I'm working with students, there's magic in the air. There's transformation. That's so beautiful. I love it. You said that you kind of turned off some of those things so that you could see it only in dreams. So now when you walk around, you aren't getting all that information. Is that correct? It's more of a, I'll turn it on and try sometimes, you know, like if, if I'm somewhere and feel like I should, but for the most part, I, I like to shut that off. And I also believe as someone who can offer healing information or psychic information or mediumship information that I really don't want to invade someone's privacy and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, invade them in any way that for the most part, I don't want to know these things. And I think when you're open up wide after a near-death experience or spiritual awakening, you can become so empathic that you're everything within your eight feet of your aura, you're just soaking in and soaking up. Mm-hmm. And I remember those first few months where I would get on a city bus and I just know pretty much things I didn't want to know about people as I passed them. And so, yeah, I prefer to work with people as clients or my students, I just say for their highest good and their purpose, you know, moving forward and ask for information only if they're hurting or if they're struggling, you know, just how can I help them find what they're going to enjoy in life. When my own life, and I think everyone struggles with this, I've learned over the years to just pay more attention to subtleties and to the subtle versions of energy and not not make assumptions, but also not brush it aside as non-information because it is information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like to say that it's like sort of like a tape that's always rolling in our minds. And then when sometimes something will go by and it's there's like this like blink moment or you're just like something's different there. And then you can kind of rewind, slow it down, take a look at it and be like, okay, I got that information and then speed the tape back up so you can keep going with life. But whenever you get that kind of like, oh, wait, something feels different. You know, it's definitely important to pay attention to that because there's usually information in there for our highest and best good. So now you do healings for people or, or you're, you're moving into that, right? You do readings uh, using mediumship, but also now you're moving into healings. Is that correct? That is correct. And that's been, a, everything's been a long journey. So I spent 20 years in the classroom and then I got this message from God saying your mission is completed. And I thought, what do you mean? Am I going to die? And right at the time I had all these health complications. I had Hashimoto's thyroid disease. And I also had like all kind after 20 years after the accident, my back really began to hurt and my neck began to hurt. And there was a lot of degeneration. And I, I began to think, maybe I do have a short life, you know, maybe this is not, I'm not going to be here on the planet for a long time. And what do I want to do? So I wrote a book, you know, Angels of OR, I started talking with people, but I also deeply went in and thought, okay, let's, let's do healing with myself. And the main thing that was bugging me was my neck. And I went to this cathedral called Chamayo outside of Santa Fe. And it was 
one of the most amazing experiences beyond the near-death experience. The minute I stepped into that cathedral, I felt this healing power of Christ, you know, for lack of a better term. And then this consciousness just kind of entered me. And I saw that, unfortunately, I wasn't going to have an easy journey with this healing, but I was going to begin with emotions. And so I was going to start deeply healing childhood wounds, like really addressing them, not just moving forward and being in service and being this wounded healer, but healing myself. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a year looking at all different kinds of healing modalities. And I was lucky enough to have money to do that, to spend on that. You know, like I, I basically taught and worked on my healing for an entire year. Then I went back to that cathedral and that next year I came back out and two days later I found a Nuka chiropractor and basically all that pain in my neck was immediately gone. So it just, it was magic to me and it's still magic to this day that, I mean, it was a level nine or 10 pain. I was, you know, talking with surgeons. I was like, what, what do we need to do? Most surgeons said I couldn't be able to move my neck up, that it was, you know, just fused in a way that was too painful. But I was like, no, I'm going to figure this out. And so I literally went from level pain nine to zero in one treatment. So and this was, is called a NUCA? You yeah. Said? I've never heard of that. N-U-C-C-A. So it's upper cervical adjustment and it's through radio frequency. So it isn't popping or anything. Um, oh, wow. People can do it with their hands if they're talented enough or they have a radio frequency pin. Not that zapper pin that a lot of chiropractors use, but this is just working on that first vertebrae. And sometimes I'll work on the ear, but it's just like light touches. And I don't know how to describe it, but it does work miracles for some people because it just aligns the entire spine. And rolfing also is great. You know, I've added that as an additional practice for lower back problems, but I mean, the physical healing was just instant. That's, I mean, and I attribute it to going to that cathedral because had I not gone to that cathedral, had I not right. just felt this intuitive urge to drive to Denver, find a NUCA specialist, try it there, and then get referrals where I live, I just don't think I would have had that healing experience. So it was just something was set in motion. And I also think it's kind of interesting that. Louise Hay says, if you have trouble turning your neck from side to side, sometimes you're not seeing other perspectives. Mm. And what I was having trouble doing was forgiving and just accepting parts of my childhood and um, moving beyond it. Because even though the near-death experience showed me this deep, unconditional love, I still had to deal with family members. I still had to be back in this life and there's still, the body still holds trauma. So the spirit was fine and healed over there, but Mm -hmm. I came back to this body that still held trauma in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people are starting to wake up to this understanding that there is trauma stored in the body. And while our minds can be okay with something or our spirit can be okay, our energy is still holding on to that trauma and wants it to release so that we can move forward and not feel triggered anytime we see that person or think of that experience or anything along those lines. Yeah. And I do think that because you did that emotional work in your neck area, that it was probably priming you for that release with the Nuka chiropractor because we do heal in layers and it's not always obvious what those layers are and what order we should go in. But usually I think starting with the emotionals is really probably the number one thing we should go to from what I've seen. 
what have you seen? Do you think that it is the emotional that is probably primary? Yeah, I'm so curious. So I've looked at so many different things and I think there's healing in many modalities and I think it's individual to people. I love theta healing because it works with stored memories from ancestors, from past lives. I've done a few past life regressions and had major breakthroughs in my life. I was kind of skeptical. I thought, oh, am I just going to be making this up in that state? You know, because that wasn't information that I got from my near-death experience. But I really feel like past life regressions done in the right way can help us work through physical pain, emotional blocks, blocks to abundance, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there's, there's a really powerful memories that somehow get stored at a soul level from past lives. So that kind of release is fascinating. The latest thing that I've discovered, Bill McKenna and Cogno Movement, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like EMDR on steroids. This stuff is powerful (laughs) and it looks a little funny. They usually do. (laughs) (laughs) I know. If you get a big group of people out there, it's, it's really interesting, but you can get a beach ball to begin with just in, because of the colors. And basically you move it in different movements, like a figure eight pattern. And that's the eye movement pattern that's similar mm-hmm. to EMDR. So you think about a feeling and then uh, it really does. I, I've done this therapy and I could feel my brain reorganizing and integrating certain memories and releasing them. And it was super powerful. I, I really think people should work with someone if they do this. Don't just buy the ball on YouTube like I did. And, and, and do it. <laughs> I like your style. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to jump in. <laughs> That's great. There's so many different healing modalities and they all seem to be the ones that are like kind of rising to the surface as the most valuable are the ones that are addressing the trauma, the whether it's inherited or from a past life, you know, whether it's inherited from family or past life or from this lifetime, taking into account this holistic approach of like the mind, body, spirit, feeding the body well, biohacking, that's what I like to call it. I didn't coin that, Dave Asprey did, but just really looking at every angle and trying to work and be in harmony with this healing that you're looking for, which you don't really know what it is, but you know that it's there. It's it's an interesting thing to try to align with. But um, if you stay using your heart as your GPS, you'll get there. I agree. Yeah. And you know, part of the reason why I do medium readings is because they are healing for some people. Yep. And that's why I went ahead and, and tried that. So initially, you know, when my father died in 2008, I heard him speaking to me profoundly and powerfully. And I thought, well, that's me. That's I'm a near-death experiencer. I can speak to my dad. So what? Maybe I can't talk to lots of other people's ancestors. But people, when I told that story, people who'd lost children started contacting me and asking me to contact their kids. And so I said, I don't know if I can do this or not. So I won't charge you. I will just go into meditation, see what I get and email you. And you tell me if any of this is accurate and don't be offended if it's not. So (laughs) We we have to start somewhere, right? I mean, this is so not really like, this is all unique to us, right? We can kind of just play around with it, feel what's right and then deliver the information. And I'm always shocked how accurate it is when we see and say, you know, and not try to interpret. 
I know. And what hit me with one of those first readings is that a son told his mom, this was not your fault because she had told him to wait to get his car fixed. And he had died in a a car accident and he explained why, and she was relieved of this guilt. And he gave her specifics about how to live her life differently and to stop grieving and treating her body badly. And, and really, you know, just kind of set her back on her own healing path and and set her free from some of that guilt and Mm. shame. And I just thought, Oh, wow, this is really powerful stuff. If it's used for healing Mm -hmm. and it's not used for my ego, you know, like, Oh, I got this information or, you know, like, you know, just to chat about something it's really used for healing and more and more spirits are telling me that they want to come through and heal. So say if you didn't get to spend much time with a grandparent, they want to give you that love and energy of what it would have been like if you had had that time so that you carry it with your soul. If there was an absent dad, the dad just wants that son or daughter to be happy and feel like they had a support system in place and that they are their own support system. And and the spirits will stay away if they're wanted or they'll come closer, but really they just send healing a lot of times. And that's so beautiful to see. Yeah, it can be very overwhelming. They've moved me to tears in delivering the love and message. I can remember one client, she was about to get married and her grandmother came forward just to wish her wonderful blessings in the marriage. And I was like, I choked up. I was like, hang on one second. I can't even handle this. So beautiful. There's just so much love that comes through from the other side and for us. And, and we are, we like, you know, it's not easy being in a body, you know, it's not easy trying to figure it all out. We aren't handed a manual. And I think they all see that. I know that they all see that, that we're, we're just doing the best we can with what we've got in our toolkit. And that's why it's important to pick up these different tools and learn about different experiences so that we can kind of have a different mindset or view of the world. That's very interesting that you said about Louise Hay. I have not heard that one. I've heard a lot of her things. I actually have an app that is called Heal Your Body, I think. Yeah. And um, you can go through the letters and you can click on a letter. Like, let's say it's eczema. You can click on the E and it'll say what the root cause is of the mindset that's around that. So um, I'm just throwing that out there for anybody. I use it. (laughs) It's helpful information, you know, if you want to get a deeper understanding of something. I do love her and she's been a, a bit of an inspiration. And there's been so many times on my journey when I've thought about giving up, like, I don't want to do this podcast. I don't want to do this book. I don't want, you know, just there's many times I've wanted to throw it in the towel because the only thing God said I had to do was teach. And so <laughs> all, all this extra stuff is just, you know, extra. And, you know, you know, you can get attacked out there when you speak publicly and all this. So mm-hmm. I was interviewing this one Reiki healer and near-death experiencer and afterwards, I thought, well, maybe two interviews is enough. We'll just, you know, shut the channel down. <laughs> you know, like it'll offer healing. And the spirit of Louise Hay came through and she <gasps> said, thank you for offering healing to the world and thank anyone who's offering healing to this world. And then a few days later, I connected with my agent for the book and she had worked at Hay House for 15 years. Oh, and wow. so I was like, oh, wow. And she knew Louise Hay very well. And it was almost like, an actual thank you. And there's been spirits who have come through who, who I don't even know, you know, who just support me on this journey and keep telling me to not give up and not stop because I don't know, it's just overwhelming sometimes. (laughs) So much work. It is a lot of work. I am right there with you. (laughs) You know what it is? It's a lot of dying. Actually, I've, I've really recently come to realize that it's really the death of an identity of whatever it may be, that I'm a science teacher or that I'm straight or that I'm 
a healer that talks on a podcast or I'm a healer that <laughs> talks to the whole world. Well, whatever it is, you know, it's like you keep having to change your identity. It's like, it's tiring, you know, because anytime we change an identity, we wind up triggering our fight or flight because it's like, who do I belong to now? Or who can be my support or who still loves me regardless of who I'm presenting myself as? Yeah, it is tiring. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of times, sometimes, I mean, I swear to God, I was driving down the road the other day and there was a guy that was building a roof. And there are moments in my body where I say, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> I'm going to just build roofs. And they're like, Amy, don't be ridiculous. You know, but for a moment, I truly believe that's my next calling. Like I, I see him, I'm like, that's so peaceful. I see the mountains behind him. I see the sun on his back. And then I'm thinking, wait a second, because I'm intuitive. I can probably feel how hot he is, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 he's thirsty. He's tired. He doesn't want to be doing this. Like I'm just projecting probably, but there are moments where I'm like, I just want to be that nine to five where I'm not always so awake, aware, well, trying yeah. to figure out what the best way to get the message across is. I totally relate. Just this morning, I was going to move to New Zealand and plant gardens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, like, just forget it all. <laughs> you know? right. I just want my hands in the dirt and I don't want anything to do with my country. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at, at the same time, we wind up being so blessed because we do have such a high level of awareness of like the love that is on the other side and the human potential and the possibilities that are there and connection and and healing. I mean, at all, we're so lucky and blessed that we have seen it firsthand. It is our duty to share that with the world. Yeah. And sometimes I think anything that I can do in my town to help traumatize people heal, whether that's at the rape crisis center, whether that's with veterans, whether that's with students, whether that's with women running from violent situations, whatever the case may be, any healing that I offer to my city once we open up more, you know, that's that's possible to have those in-person types of gatherings, any healing that I can offer to the world through a message, through my book, through a podcast, through anything, you know, that's important work. And it's all the stuff that we get to take with us because love is all that we take with us. So all the work that you do, Amy, all the work that I do, you know, that's what we're taking with us. And that's more than anything else. Right. I'm excited for the life review. <laughs> not not too excited. Let me just say that. I'm not too excited. I'm not ready for it yet. But, you know, I think the life review hopefully will be a beautiful one. I'm excited for what I will see, but I am not interested in being there yet. <laughs> well, it's it's a long way. Like there's, I have another gift. I can see the light in people's eyes when they're getting closer. So you're not there. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Oh gosh. Yeah. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, you have to deal with that. You can see, I can see sometimes I look at people, I'm like, oh, wow, they're not telling me about their cancer or whatever. And I'm like, why are they not telling me? It's hard. It's hard to, to have all these, this information and be able to help them and love on them, you know, and just be like, it's okay that you have that. Cool. I'm glad I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I got things I got to do. That's awesome. So is there anything else you want to share with us about your journey with this near-death experience and how you've become a healer and medium? And You know, the main thing is that I just love connection with people. Now, that's the joy. So much like teaching, you know, whether I meet people through YouTube or whether I meet people through my spiritual community or through giving readings or through just Facebook and chatting, you know, like it's amazing how many near-death experience Facebook groups have led to friendships at conferences. It's just amazing, the connections. I feel so grateful, and I'm sure you do too, to be connected to 
mediums and healers and teachers all over this world, spiritual Mm -hmm. teachers, and to have this wealth of information and this wealth of knowledge from people who are working on the same things in different ways in different Mm -hmm. parts of the country. It's just, and world, it's truly a blessing. It really is. It's so awesome to be a part of this community and hopefully a growing community of people waking up and to their fullest potential and healing and providing their light within the world and realizing how much impact they can have. It's been so awesome talking to you. Can you tell everybody where they can find out more about you? Yeah, my main website is uh, trishabarkerinde.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A Barker. You can also probably just put my name in YouTube and you'll find other people's interviews in my own channel. And I have lots of other near-death experiencers that I've interviewed who I've met at different conferences. And honestly, I interview a lot of my friends. (laughs) (laughs) They're the people that gravitate toward us and they're amazing, right? We get to be in that circle. So I, I totally understand. And we'll have all that information at the bottom of the show notes so they can find you. You're on Facebook and you said Instagram, right? Yeah, yes. Instagram and Twitter. I saw YouTube, Trisha Barker, NDE.com. And you have this amazing book that talks about your near-death experience. And you were on the Dr. Oz show. I mean, like, you're doing great stuff. And keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give up. I'll be right there. You call me. I'll say, yes, you can go to New Zealand, but not really. <laughs> Yeah, but for a conference, maybe we'll meet up there. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. It's New Zealand's far, but I can do it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Amy. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show, website or other platforms, including text, images, audio or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.